Welcome. We're so glad that you are here with us today. We're going to continue and conclude our three-week series in um, Micah. And really, we've been focusing on Micah 6.8, which is like a super, super famous verse um, that is often quoted from the book of Micah. And it's interesting, Micah is a prophet, and the role of the prophet was to call out sin in Israel. So Israel had a covenant with God, and when they broke the covenant, God sent these prophets to call out sin and say, hey, here's where you're doing things wrong. Here's where you've forsaken God. Here's where you've allowed greed and social injustice to become the norm. And these prophets would call people to repent and and turn back to God. And Micah 6, 8 describes in a very beautiful and concise way what it looks like to turn back to God and to follow God. So why don't you read it with me um, out loud, if you don't mind. We've been looking at this for a few weeks. So let's read it together. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What a beautiful, concise statement. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So today we're going to talk about humility. And what exactly is humility? And humility has a lot to do with our self-perception, especially in relationships. So our self-perception in our relationship to others and our self-perception in in our relationship to God. And sometimes, at least for me, it's easier to define a term or to understand a term or a concept by what it is not, by the opposite. And, And I would say for many of us, it's easier to pick out arrogance and it's easier to pick out pride, an unhealthy pride, than it is to pick out humility. I mean, have you ever had that conversation with a person who just can't stop talking about themselves? (laughs) And the conversation always goes back to the great things that they accomplished. Oh, but it wasn't a big deal. But, you know, the great things that they have accomplished that they want to talk about. Or maybe you've... um, you, you've been around people who have this, I'm better than you, right? Attitude. And you just feel, you just feel it like the holier than thou attitude. Um, what's interesting about pride and arrogance, I've also found in my experience that it can be very subtle. So it's easy to pick out when it's on full display like that, when you have someone that's very vocal and very boastful. But it can also be very subtle. And this is where I feel much more convicted when it comes to the sin of pride. But believing that the world revolves around me, that if I'm not here, then things are going to fall apart. (laughs) Right? That I am indispensable. And that I need to do all the things because I have to. No one else can do it like I do it. Right? And that is a much more subtle form of pride, of arrogance, thinking of ourselves much higher than we need to be. And it's hard because our culture really um, rewards this kind of arrogance or this kind of pride. No one can do what I do, so I must do all the things. We're invited in Micah to walk humbly with 
God. So as we try to define humility, I want to go to a passage in Matthew. Matthew 11, Jesus actually describes himself as humble. So look at this passage with me. We'll start in verse 27. Jesus is speaking and he says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those whom whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I love this passage for so many reasons. It talks about rest, and so that's often where we go when we look at this passage, as as we should. Yes, absolutely. But it's interesting, Jesus in here describes himself as gentle and humble in heart. So as we try to define what humility is, it can't be um, the absence of knowledge or the absence of power, right? Because Jesus has both. Jesus has all knowledge and all power. All things have been committed to Jesus uh, by, by the Father. So it can't be that. And somehow in this, in this scripture, humility is also tied to learning from Jesus and to finding rest for our souls. So when I look, when I think about the definition of humility, and, and if you look back at the Greek and the Hebrew, the words, they're actually, um, they, they draw on this image of bowing down. They draw on the image of lowering one's self, of submitting to another. And we see Jesus submitting to God the Father. We also see Jesus in, in how he treats others using humility, how he values each person he encounters, how he engages with love and self-sacrifice, wanting what's best for other people. Humility is revealed in relationships. So humility is revealed in relationships. And so I want to look at Jesus, because he's the model, right? <laughs> we want to be imitators of Jesus as, as Jesus followers. I want to look at how Jesus both demonstrated and also taught about humility. And so I invite us to, to read Luke chapter 14, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 14. And this is Jesus at a Pharisee's house, and, and we'll read it in two sections. And as we read it, I want to encourage us to pay attention to the social dynamics at play. Pay attention to the relationships um, that are, that are on, on display in this story. So Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, 
will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. They had nothing to say to that. So this is, the begin- this is kind of the context of where Jesus is at and what he's doing right before he teaches on humility. So let's look at the social dynamics at play here. You have this prominent, wealthy, powerful man of influence, the Pharisee, who's hosting in his home and has invited Jesus, but Jesus is being carefully watched because there's, Jesus has already had run-ins with the Pharisee. They've already... Um, begun to oppose him and oppose his teachings. And so Jesus sees all this, and he also sees this man over here who's visibly ill. He has some sort of swelling in his body. And Jesus points out this man. And he asks, is it lawful to heal this man is today on the Sabbath? Is it, is it good for me to heal him, this man that is hurting, and he's met with silence. I couldn't help as I was processing and thinking about this passage to think about Martin Luther King Jr. And one of the things that he said, we, we celebrated Martin Luther King Day a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, you know, as a civil rights leader, he saw the injustice, right? And he was, he was fighting for the rights of, of all people, that we would be equal. And here's what Martin Luther King Jr. said at one point. He said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And here you have the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, those who are important in society, those who have all the power, those who are hosting and Jesus points out this man who needs healing and asks, can I heal this person on today? And they're silent. In the face of injustice, will we be a people that remain silent? Or will we speak up? Jesus, met with their silence, ends up healing the man on the spot. And I love how Jesus answers his own question, not with words, but rather with concrete, tangible um, a, a healing right there and then. And then he poses another question. He says, would you not pull out a child or an ox that falls into a well? And it's a rhetorical question. Of course they would on the Sabbath or not. And so the answer is obvious to everyone. And so Jesus is pointing out this glaring double standard in society. That somehow there's this societal norm, this belief, this perception, this justification, this rationale that it is acceptable to withhold help and healing from a visibly ill man, but not to even bat an eye at helping a hurting animal. Somehow, in the name of God, the religious leaders were justifying treating a fellow human being worse than they would treat their domesticated work animals. So it's in this context that Jesus teaches about humility. And I think that's so, so telling. So let's, let's continue in Luke chapter 14, and now we're in verse 7. 
When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friends, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So it's in this context of all the things that we talked about here, this social context, that Jesus uses a parable to teach about humility. And that Jesus uses parables to teach about the kingdom of God, this upside-down kingdom in which the poor are elevated. And, and Jesus often spoke in parables so that he could take heavenly concepts and make them relatable, simplify them in a story that is more easily understood. And so he tells this story with a moral, with a teaching. And first he speaks to the guests in the parable of the banquet. And he's saying, there's this person that's choosing the place of honor for themselves. And if you do that, you might be asked to move down and that's going to be humiliating. Don't do that. And then he describes a person choosing a, more, a lower place or a more humble place to sit and then being asked to move up, and that is honoring. And so the moral is, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then he speaks to the host, and he asks, who's on your invite list? <laughs> Who are the people that you're inviting and why are you inviting them? Because just like today, also in first century Israel, those you ate with reflected the circles you were in, right? Those you ate with reflected your place in society, how important or how influential you were. There was a pecking order, <laughs> like sadly is still common today. And Jesus is saying, um, invite those who can't repay you. Invite those who don't benefit you to be at your table, and you will be blessed. For this is what righteousness looks like. This is what doing right, living right looks like. And so what is Jesus teaching about humility? He's teaching that when we are tempted to self-promote and gravitate towards people who will benefit us, humility invites us to lower ourselves and to see and engage all people as equals. To see our shared humanity in every face, especially in those faces that are often invisible 
to society. In the parable, um, Jesus speaks about the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. But we could add many, many marginalized groups to that in our context. Humility is thinking about another's well-being and placing their well-being above our own. And when we do that, we engage in justice and mercy. When we are humble, we're able and empowered to act justly and to love mercy, which is Micah 6.8, right? So we've taken a week on each of these, but they're so intertwined, this, this acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. I'm wondering if anyone here has, is asking right now, as, as we look at this and as I'm talking about this, um, is asking, well, in Micah 6.8, it's specific, specifically referring to engaging with God, walk humbly with God. And here I've been talking all about how we engage with people. Aren't those two different things? And today I'd like to, to propose that they're not that they're actually one and the same, that how we walk with people is intricately tied to how we walk with God. Jesus speaks to this on an, in another parable on humility, a few chapters forward in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9, to some people who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So Jesus, speaking about this parable, says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Another parable with two men in so many ways opposite of each other. The Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee, again, this honored position in society. And he was boasting in his prayer how he went above and beyond what was required um, that outwardly, his outward uh, piety, how he practiced his religion, he did much more than what was required in the Jewish law as it pertains to fasting and tithing. And in his heart, as he prayed, he was confident in his own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. He was thanking God that he was better <laughs> Than everyone else. I chuckle because I'm like, wow, that's, that's real bad, guys. <laughs> to be that boastful when speaking 
to God. He had he was praying, but he had no need for God, no reliance on God, no request of God, no submission to God in that prayer. So for me as I as I think about his prayer, it's it's a word of caution. I think for all of us um it's hard and it's different in our society, but but the the concepts the same. It's hard not to compare ourselves to others, right? And sometimes when we compare ourselves to others, um, it, it's, it's bad either direction, which way we go. If we think we're better than others or if we think others are better than us, it can be unhealthy in, in either direction there. The tax collector, on the other hand, who had this despised position in society, approached God acknowledging his lowly position. He approached God acknowledging where he's gone wrong, acknowledging his sin. And his prayer is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In his heart, he knows he needs God and comes in humility. This is a beautiful prayer. In fact, um, this is often referred to as the Jesus prayer. Um, and it's been used for centuries for for. Christians all over, uh, all over the world. And it was developed by the monastic, uh, mothers and fathers, um, that lived in the desert. And it's based on this verse and a couple other verses that, that describe cries for mercy. But the Lord's Prayer, if you haven't heard it, is a really simple prayer. And it's beautiful when done as a breath prayer. So you breathe in for half of it and then you breathe out the other half. And the, and the prayer is, Lord Jesus, Son of God, as we inhale, have mercy on me, a sinner, as we exhale. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I, just because of my experiences in, in my faith journey, I like to add a word to it in my personal practice of this. When I, I say, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a loved sinner. Because I am a sinner, and I'm also loved by God and invited to know God. And so the moral of this parable, again in verse 14, uh, similar to a few chapters uh, prior, is for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee who thought himself better than the tax collector, better than all those other sinners, um, his arrogance and his pride towards people became a barrier between him and God. So this is where humility, how we treat people, is intricately intertwined with our walk with God. Because the Pharisee thought he was better than everyone else, that actually became a barrier between him and God. His lack of humility towards people resulted in a lack of humility towards God. Whereas the tax collector's humility in acknowledging his sin before God resulted in him being justified, being right with God. And so as we, as we conclude this, this series on Micah 6 8, I want us to, to think about walking humbly with God. Think about that invitation. Uh, C.S. Lewis defines humility, and, and you've probably heard this one before, too. It's a famous quote, but I love how C.S. Lewis defines humility. He, he wrote, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, thinking of others more. 
And so as we focus on this concept of humility, it's powerful to think about the whole phrase, to walk humbly with God. That we're invited on a walk with God. That it's a journey. And, and it's not a sprint. <laughs> it's a walk day in, day out. Walking with God where we are empowered because we're walking with God, that we are empowered to be humble, to value others, to see our shared humanity, to look out for the well-being of others, and that is demonstrated in how we act justly and we love mercy. I, uh, I was at Mod Pizza yesterday. Um, didn't want to cook and <laughs> my family went to, uh, went up to white pass and they were snowboarding. And so I'm like, tell me when you're coming and I'm going to go pick up pizza. <laughs> and I usually order online and then I sit in the car and they bring it out to you when we do that. But this time, for whatever reason, I just didn't do it. I lost track of time. And so I actually had to walk in and there was a lot of people there. And so I stood in line and, uh, this gentleman next to me, uh, started a conversation and he started sharing um, just a little bit about his life and how he grew up in the church and reasons why he no longer goes to church and what he thinks about God. And eventually, the conversation went to, how do we live? Like, what does God want of us? What does it look like to follow God? Is it just about coming to church on Sunday? <laughs> The answer is no. <laughs> but like, how do we live? And I love Micah 6.8 to answer that question. We're invited to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. I invite you to pray with me. Dear God, we thank you for your words here. We thank you for the example in the life of Jesus, to what it looks like to be humble, what it looks like to act justly and to love mercy, what it looks like to see ourselves as and everyone else as equals, to see in the face of another um, their God-given value because they're image bearers of you. Lord, may we live like Jesus. We ask through your Holy Spirit that you would transform us and that you would empower us to walk humbly with you, that we would consider others' well-being, that we would treat each other as equals, that we would fight against injustice, Lord, that we would be able to show mercy, that we would live out self-giving love in tangible and concrete ways. May we be known as a people that love you and follow you. May we be known as a people that act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.